and uh, we're glad that you're with us. Man, I'm excited. We're in uh, week six, I think this is. I mean, we, we've never done a series this long in the entirety of our church, mostly because I have ADHD and I get bored. And so, um, but we're going to have some fun today, and we're going to dive into uh, fingertip grip strength. Uh, okay. Uh, come on. We made it. Okay. Whew, I needed it a little closer. Is that cool? Uh, we're, thanks, Megan. She's like just trying to mitigate the cringe. That's all she's doing right now. If you're looking for a perfect church, you are at the wrong place. They're down the street. If you're around, stoked to be around some people who are fighting for authenticity and are just totally stoked about what God's doing, you found the right church. Can I get an amen? And uh, we're in week six of this series called Thirsty. Everyone say thirsty. It's based on the scripture found in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. So Jesus is setting the stage that there are certain things we want to hunger and thirst after, and righteousness is the primary, not everything else, but righteousness is defined by God. That means to be in right standing with God. And this series is built on the fact that all of us have a spirit like the will or the heart that, that, that is the command center of our life. And this is informing every choice that we make, but it's also simultaneously being formed by our choices and by our experiences. So what we've gone through and experienced forms our spirit. What we're choosing today and experiencing today forms our spirit. And if you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, then he says you're a new creation. The challenge is I still have life to live. And that means that my spirit needs to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That means to walk in righteousness. We've been talking about the six dimensions of every human, not like in a creepy, weird scenario, but the, all of us have different facets and aspects to who we are, and you get that. Because I'm three-dimensional. I've got a height, I've got a width, and I've got a depth. But there's also things that happen on the inside that you can't necessarily see, but you experience them. And those are the dimensions of our life. You have a spirit. But you also have a mind which is in two different facets. You have thoughts and you have feelings. You have between six to 15,000 thoughts every day. Some people think it's as high as 60,000. I think that's probably accurate for my wife. And for every thought that you have, a feeling is attached to it. You don't get to choose this. This is what happens. Now, you get to choose what thoughts you meditate on. You get to choose what thoughts you ruminate and steep on. But every thought you have has a feeling attached to it. And that feeling is either attracted to the thought or it's repulsed by it. Even if you feel indifferent, it just means you don't have as strong of feelings with regards to the thought. And feelings are great advisors or counselors. They are horrible CEOs. Because if we're driven by our feelings, you are headed for trouble. So just like our spirit needs to be formed by the purposes and plans of God, so does our thoughts and our feelings. Last week we talked about how the body, we have a body which has desires. And your body can outrun your intentions very easily. Last week we talked about it. Have you ever gotten to a place where you said something before you thought? Anybody? That's your body outrunning your intentions. Are you with me? You ever had you lost your temper? That phrase, I just lost my temper. Well, my body got so angry and it outran 
my desires to be calm, cool, and collective, and I punched that joker. No, I didn't really. I'm just messing around. And then our soul is the operating software that happens behind the scenes. And it's either headed towards health or a lack of health. And the challenge with your soul is you don't know whether it's headed towards health or lack thereof until months down the road. Are y'all with me? And these are five dimensions. The reason we have them on a pyramid is in week one because we want to make sure we're aligning the dimensions of who we are with the nature of who God is. And there's one more dimension, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And it intersects with every single dimension of who we are, and that is our social context. I want to talk about this because, listen, this series... This series is about us being who God created us to be. Not about am I a Christian or not, but that I'm being transformed into who God created me to be. And it does not happen, look at me in the eyes, by sheer will alone. It does not happen by longevity in the church. It does not happen through osmosis. It happens through the supernatural power of God, one step at a time, one day at a time. So the whole series so far, we've been talking about being transformed in our spirit, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our body. Next week, Megan's going to talk about being transformed in our soul. And we're going to wrap it all up with a bow, and it's going to be fantastic. And today, I want to talk about, listen... Our social context, which needs transformation as well. Amen? Let's pray. We'll dive into this. I think I'm going to preach pretty fast because y'all are listening really quickly, so I appreciate that about you. God, we thank you that you're here. God, we just, uh, we set aside the agenda, even the sermon that's written here. God, whatever you want to speak today, you, you do it in a way that only you can. We open our hearts to you, the command center of our life, and we recognize there's some things in our life that need to be removed. There's some things in our life that need to be rearranged. There's some things in our life that just aren't pleasing to you and God today. We just surrender those to you and say, have your way. Thank you for having grace towards us. Thank you for being patient with us. And God, just lean in like you never have before in this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, let me take a moment and kind of define social context. And then I want to unpack some of the problems that all of us in this room have when it comes to our social context. And then I want to kind of unpack four keys to transforming that. Does that sound good? And the first thing I want to talk to you about how all of us, all of humanity, cannot flourish without a reciprocal rootedness in a social context. In other words, you cannot survive without some type of reciprocation in a relationship with other humans. Even if you thought, I'm going to move to the, the country and live by myself and be a miser and never talk to anyone, you will slowly die internally even if your body outlives your spirit. 
Are you with me? You need a social context. Listen, every single one of us needs to know and to be known fully. You need to love and to be loved fully. You, you, all of us, we don't get to escape this. And if we're not known and knowing others, if we're not loved and loving others, then we are walking wounded. Like a new television show, not The Walking Dead, it's The Walking Wounded. And you've probably experienced this in your own life, you've probably experienced this with other people, where encounters with them, you encounter something that is like a wounded bird, and you can feel it and sense it sometimes before you even hear it, and that's because perhaps in their life there was a breakdown in their social context. We, we need to be known fully and to know others. We desire, listen, and we build a social environment where everything is okay. Like think about if you have interaction with a child who's experiencing nervousness or anxiety, you tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. You, you have built a social context for your life where you feel a sense of safety and security, where you feel a sense of health and that everything is okay. And Dallas Willard calls these environments circles of sufficiency. Let me show you. We've got some concentric circles here that represent the different layers of our social context. We've got our family, and for some of you, you might have another circle within this that's extended family now, if you're old enough. And then we have community, and, and all of us find community in different places. We've got people who are watching right now in London, and, and their community in the time, because they're looking for church, is their boxing gym. They found community there and friendship there. And, and you do this too. Maybe you found community with your, your, your office buddies. Maybe you found community with the other parents of the little league that your kids are a part of. Maybe you found community here in church through your connect group. But you've built community that's outside of your family. And you need that to feel safe and secure. And then we have a community in our region. We live in the only county that refers to itself as a county and not as the city you live in. Nobody else does that. It's real. Unless you're from Louisiana and they call it a parish and we want to kick them out of the United States anyways. It's not important. Grossest state in the nation. I live there, I can say that. Listen, you don't even say, you tell, people say, where do you live? You don't say Mission Viejo or RSM. You say Orange County and they're like, where's Orange County? Is that like Orange County Choppers? You're like, no, it's not. And we, we have similarities within our county, and even when you look at the state and you look at the political leanings of the state, Orange County is more of a conservative politically county than the rest of the state that we live in. Don't get your feathers ruffled. Just chill out. We're not talking politics today. We are soon. It's going to be fun. You have to wear the color of the party you belong. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going to split the room. If you voted for Trump, you sit over here, Biden over here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Or am I? And in our region, when COVID hit, we were leaned a little more on the conservative end of the spectrum than the rest of our state. You know, we, we masked up at first. Some of us vaxxed up. I, I didn't, but some did. And remember washing the food from Costco? For like, I think, I think a week we did that. 
Dominoes would drop off, and we'd spray it with, like, bleach. <laughs> and then they told us we couldn't go on our beaches. And hell broke loose from Orange County. Can I get an amen? I literally had a motorcycle cop kick me off Salt Creek Beach. And I was like, bro, I can beat you up right now. I won't, but I can. And we rallied, didn't we? Because there was a social context of a region. And then we have a state. And, and, and right now, when it comes to our state, a lot of people are, are they're in turmoil. We had a mass exodus out of the state, didn't we? And, and Tennessee exodus. And, and Idaho exodus, yeah? We lost a, a, a seat in Congress, didn't we, right? And our taxes are crazy, and you're like, you're proud of your state, but you're also like, but also Phoenix looks really good right now. We got some friends from Phoenix with us today. But notice where they vacation. Let's move on. Let's move on. You feel that pride surface, don't you? Yeah. And then we have a nation. How many of you were old enough to remember where you were 9-11? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you remember the days following what was on the back of every single car? An American flag. And it's silly that that became an icon of unity because it represents our nation anyways. But yet everybody put one on their car. Why? Because there was this health within our context. Are you with me? You need that. You need, I need a social context that helps me feel like everything is going to be okay. And what we've done is we've built these concentric circles and they give us a sense of security. The problem is, it's only a sense of security, isn't it? Because inherently, every single circle of sufficiency is broken. Inherently, there is nothing that can come from within any of these circles that can provide the sustenance and the fulfillment that we actually need. Even starting at the base circle, some of you grew up in homes that were full of love and kindness and support, and you had both mom and dad there, and you were believed in and encouraged, and you have a healthy sense of what a family dynamic looked like, but even with that, your family had dysfunction, because every family has dysfunction. That's why therapists have jobs. It's real. I've told you this before. I've spent thousands of dollars in therapy. I need a lot more. And I had one session where I was just sitting there talking about some dad issues that I had, and it dawned on me. My kids are going to have to do the same thing. <laughs> it's just part of it. You can't escape it. And if you think you can, you are living in a delusion. I mean, there's literally case studies done about Kids who grew up in Russia and Romania as orphans and they were deprived of the compassion and the nurture of just human touch. And it's led to major psychological issues that they probably will never get through without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. And it was because in the most formidable years of their life they were deprived of the health and the nurture of someone who just loved them. 
In Romania, there was this major birth explosion in the early 90s because they were trying to boost the economy. And so there was these tax incentives for parents who would have kids. And the problem was they were having between 7 and 10 kids and they couldn't afford to take care of them. And so they just dropped them off as wards of the state. And finally, other countries found out about it and got there. And there were children who were lying in cribs that hadn't been touched for days. Three months old. Six months old. Two years old. Now, that's an extreme case. But just think about some of the dysfunction that you've walked through. Are you with me? We need to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And we need a social context, but we cannot derive dependency or a sense of security from any other social context but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we built this pyramid in the order that it is and the social context is a byproduct. It is as needed as everything else, but our dependency must be on God, which means that there needs to be a spiritual transformation that takes place within our social context. Are you with me? Is this making sense? You can pull that slide down. So let's talk about the starting block. <clears throat> let's talk about where do we begin with this? Because all of us need to identify where we're at in order to know where we're going. Can I get an amen? You can't begin a race if there's not a starting line. And there's two fundamentally as equally unhealthy components in all of us when it comes to our relationships. And so today, for the next 30 seconds or so, I want you to listen for yourself and not for your spouse or your friend who needs this message. Which one of these two categories do you perhaps tend to lean into when it comes to levels of unhealth within our relationships, and those two categories are attack and withdrawal. Attack or withdrawal. Let me explain to you what I mean by attack. Attack is when I act against what is good for you. Now, if you remember in the beginning of this series, we talked about how to love is to operate in the best purposes of your good, regardless of what it does for me, even if it means a sacrifice. Just what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for our good, and it would cost him his life. Are you with me? So an attack is when I act against what is good for you, and it doesn't even have to be malicious. It could just be selfishly motivated. It doesn't even have to be against your consent because if I'm seducing you, then that's not in your best interest, is it? And you could fall into that and choose to consent to that, but it doesn't matter. It's still an attack against you. Are you all with me this morning? We see attack in children all the time. When one child sees another child playing with a toy that he or she wants. You ever seen a kid walk across the room and pull a toy out of a kid's hands? Yeah, that's attack. To be envious of something that someone else has that I don't. Isn't it interesting that the first murder that we experience in the scripture was an attack of Cain on his brother Abel because of jealousy? The last five commandments that are given to us are all in relation to this idea of attack. The first ones are like, here's some things you should do. You should know there's only one God. 
Don't have any other idols before him, but hey, don't take his name in vain. Remember Sunday, it matters. And hey, honor your mom and dad. And then it takes this hard turn. Number six, don't kill. How many of you feel like that's a good commandment? Like we should keep that one. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Those are all attacks. And listen, they don't have to be malicious. A lot of times we'll hear messages like this. We'll think, well, I've never killed anybody, so I'm, he's not preaching to me. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for not killing people. Let me just go ahead and say that. And second of all, I'm preaching to you. So <laughs> attack. It's when I do something or act against what is good for you. Withdrawal is when I regard your well-being as a matter of indifference. I just don't care. I stop concerning myself with your needs, whether they're spiritual needs physical needs, or emotional needs. Withdrawal can be motivated by weakness or fear or uncertainty, and we can withdraw without intending or recognizing that I'm wounding somebody else. Both primarily involve our relationship with those that are closest to us. And this matters because all of these things are forming my spirit, which means that my social context is forming my spirit. And my spirit is deciding whether I'm going to walk in righteousness or not. And the current condition of our culture is not God's intent for our flourishing. And just to remind you of what we talked about a few weeks ago, if you're not moving towards godliness, then you're not just in neutral, you're moving away from it. There is not three options here. I'm either walking in righteousness or I'm walking in a lack of righteousness. Are you with me? So that current, con in the current condition of our culture would lead us away from the plans and the purposes of God. Remember, your spirit is being formed, whether good or bad. And you need to know this, that this formation is, and it, no matter what you think, it is profoundly social. You cannot keep your spiritual formation to yourself. Candidly, listen, there is nothing that is just between me and God. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because all that is between me and God affects who I am, and that in turn modifies my relationship with everyone around me. If God is doing something in me, then it is impacting my wife, my kids, the people on my staff, the church that I lead. It is never just between me and Jesus. You need to know that. And not only that, but my relationship to others modifies me and affects my relationship with God. That's why those circles of sufficiency matter. I mean, I see this a bit in ministry for 25 years. It's always amazing to me to watch someone get on fire for God and then they start hanging out with some knuckleheads. I don't care if you're 48 years old or 68 years old, you still count in this equation. You've heard the saying, we talk about it all the time, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. You build your social context, 
Your closest friends probably have the same political persuasion that you do. Your closest friends probably have the same faith affiliations that you do. Your closest friends, listen, are probably within a a swing of the same socioeconomic status that you are in currently. Your closest friends probably have kids the same ages that your kids are. Your closest friends probably are in the same status whether married or single. We build a social context about what makes us feel safe and secure. The question is, is my social context being transformed or is it transforming me? You don't escape this. It's the reason we do connect groups. Not so that we can say we do connect groups, but because if you don't have some godly friends in your world, you are screwed. Turn to your neighbor and say he's talking to you. It's real. God, that light is freaking killing me. (laughs) Thank you guys for doing your best to not be distracted. I'm like... It's interesting that Jesus said that we will be known by our love for one another. John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's just pause here for a minute. I'm going to go through some practicals and we're going to wrap up on time today. But let's just pause here for a minute and just do some self-evaluation. Like just write, just take a moment, everybody look at me for just a second and do some self-evaluation. If you were to gauge the current social context of your life, is it pulling you towards righteousness or away from it? Now, remember for a moment, before I go any further, if you're not being pulled towards righteousness, you are not in neutral. You're just slowly drifting away from it. Non-negotiable. You and me, left to our own devices, we choose evil every time. Even if it doesn't seem like demonic evil. Left to my own devices, I eat more than I should. Left to my own devices, I don't work out because it's not fun to work out. It hurts. And if it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. Left to my own devices, I'm a jerk to my wife. Left to my own devices, I can withdraw from being a father so quickly and just let them figure it out. That's my natural inclination. And I'm a pastor. I'm sorry that I'm your pastor, but that's just the way it is. (laughs) So, this is on me right here. But I, I put myself here. Which direction is it pulling you currently? This matters. Some of you, literally, you need to change your friends. 
because they're pulling you in the wrong direction. Some of you need some new friends. Because you, you were created to know and to be known. We find salvation through Jesus, but we find freedom through his people. I didn't set it that way. He did. So what are some practicals? What are some practicals? How do I transform my social context? Number one, I adopt God's perspective of me. And I use that word adopt because that is a crucial word. To see myself as whole as God sees me through the lens of Jesus. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you're a new creation. So now the way that God sees you is through the lens of his son. That he was the propitiation of your sin and mine. So when God looks at Carrie, he sees me as a whole individual because Jesus paid the price for me. And now I'm just doing my best to walk in obedience. And I use the word adopt because that's what the scripture says. You know, it's been so cool. We, we've got so many families here that are in the foster care process. And, and I've had the privilege of going to court twice for two little girls that got adopted into two different families. And it's the coolest thing you've ever been to in your life. And the questions that the judge asks. And the statements that they make. And they rewrite a birth certificate. And they get rid of the old one. Because now... You are the parents of this kiddo. And that's what God did with you when you decided to follow Jesus. He said it to us like this, Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You've been adopted into the family. He chose you. Handpicked you, rewrote your birth certificate, and has a plan for you. If you want to transform your spiritual context, you need to have that so deep within you that no matter what words are spoken out of hurt or hate to you or about you, you go, what does it matter what you say because I know whose I am? Are you with me? You can't change that. You can't rip up that birth certificate. You can't go to court and have them change whether I'm his or not. Nope, he already chose me. Am I perfect? No, but he's patient towards me. Thank God he's patient. That's a great scripture for you. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that. God is not slow as some count at slowness, but he is patient, not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance, which means that it doesn't matter how fast you are in process because God is not comp comparing me to you. He never compares his children to each other. He's just saying, Carrie, just keep following me. Just keep being obedient. You're mine, and nothing's going to change that. You've got to adopt his perspective of you. And he's got a plan for you. And that means that no matter what you have walked through in your family of origin, in a broken marriage, no matter what's been spoken over you, nobody can change God's plan for you. No one can. Listen to me. Your past does not dictate God's plan for your life. Your past does not dictate God's plan for your life. He's already written it in stone.
Are you with me? He just needs our obedience. That's good word right there. Number two, you gotta fight for authenticity. That's a culture point for us because it's who we are. That means that I choose to be fully known for who I really am. I abandon pretension. I abandon the need to prove myself to you. I abandon the need to defend myself, which means I also abandon self-justification. I abandon evasiveness. I abandon deceit. I abandon manipulation. It means that I, I don't have to tell you every single fact about who I am and where I've been and what I've done, but I do need to choose to be fully who I am in this moment. Are you with me? Everyone in this room is jacked up. Some of you are really jacked up, and you're my people. The ones of you that are barely jacked up, you're Megan's people. <laughs> How many, but like for a moment, let's pause here. When I say that, it resonates because you, you identify with having a jacked up past. Raise your hand for me. Yeah. You, you got to hold to that for a minute and just know, wait a minute. I don't have to prove, I don't have to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. Isn't that a breath of fresh air? Some of you need new friends because you just are around a bunch of pretentious people and, and you don't even know how to be who you really are. Like, don't bring that here. There's other churches for you if that's you, but you just come here and bring fully who you are. And if you've got some rough edges, we'll, we'll kick them off of you. That's what people who are jacked up do. <laughs> Like sometimes some of you just need a straight up conversation with some people and let them just be honest. Like uh, to sit across the table from you, it's painful sometimes. Are y'all with me? Does it make sense? Just like fight for authenticity, which means if you hit conflict, what do you do? You sit down and you have a conversation about it. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 18. He tell this is the this part sucks. Like that whole concept of Jesus juking is real. Because he said, if you've been offended by me, I'm the guilty party because I said something or did something to you. It's your job to come initiate a conversation with me. That sucks. Because I want to be angry and never talk to you again and dream about running into your car in the parking lot. Anybody else? <laughs> I got anger issues, okay? I fall into the attack category, not the withdrawal category, okay? <laughs> But to sit down and go, man, I, I, I missed it, or you hurt me, or man, that's frustrating, or man, when you said that, or how you said that, or when you did, oh, God, I'm so sorry, it wasn't my intention. I love you, I'm for you. How do we, let's, let's rebuild this thing. What is happening? We're transforming our social context. The world that you live in does not know how to do that. They might know how to have hard conversations, but it's not based upon the redemptive qualities of who God is. That's how we change the world, is creating a culture right here in the church where we say, no, you don't have to be who you're not. You don't have to pretend God chose you, you've been adopted, and we want to know that part of you. Are y'all with me? God, that's good preaching. Y'all got quiet on me. We've got to fight for authenticity. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. In other words, don't be somebody you're not. If you don't mean yes, don't say yes. And if you say yes, then just show up and do it. Are you with me? He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. 
Number three, my social context must be saturated in genuine love. Saturated. Which means that when you and I gather, it's got to be saturated in genuine love. Whether it's in a connect group, over a meal, in a service. That the flavor is genuine love. That the flavor is the goodness of God. Paul said it like this, that we, we should put on the marks of a true Christian in Romans chapter 12. This is some good homework for you. To go home and, and over the next few days, weeks, just pick one of them to focus on. Look at what this scripture says, Romans chapter 12. I think. Let's just look at the first three phrases in this passage of Scripture. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another in brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means that I see the value in you because of God's value for you. And I'm going to outdo you in showing you honor. Honor is a lost commodity in the world that we live in today. Used to see hints of it with chivalry. When guys would open doors for people and when somebody would walk past you and wave at them. Hey, how you doing? Hope you're having a great morning. And we've told this story before, but in Africa, where our church is at, the way you say hi is saubona. And it doesn't mean hello. It means I see you. Which means if you don't say hello there, you're saying you're no longer significant to me. That's what the scripture's saying here. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint and seeks to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. God's always sneaking those in there. Everything else felt great until he says, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those. Hey, listen to this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What does this do? It eliminates covetousness within us. It eliminates jealousy. When I see Brian have an amazing week and he has something successful happen in his marriage or his life, internally, I'm, oh, God, that is so great. I'm so happy for you. I'm not comparing my life to his because God's got me under control and God's got his hands full with Brian. And so, like, man. But it also means when he goes through a pain point that it, I, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I hate that. I hate that. That should be evident in the body of Christ. Are you with me? I'm lingering a little longer because of the tech issues. Would you all let me have five extra minutes? Raise your hands. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I saw you didn't raise your hand, too. I know who you are. Steve, I won't say anything. It's not a big deal. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Again, just like a sneak it in there. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That one makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> Nobody else? It's like, okay, yes. <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a lot, right? Thankfully, you have a lifetime to figure this out. Why? Because we, we want our social context to be transformed. Because it's forming my spirit. And I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The last thing, my social context must expand to serving others. You are not created to build a self-centered circle of sufficiency. God did not create you so that you could circle the wagons around you and yours and make sure everyone is safe and taken care of. That defies the nature of who God is. The very essence of the gospel is that God gave. For God so loved the world that he, his one and only son. Look at me in the eyes and hear what I'm saying. If you don't mature to a place in your walk with the Lord where you are serving others, then you are robbing the kingdom of God and you are delusionally walking in a lack of righteousness. I know that sounds painful, but that's how God builds the church because people say, oh, God's doing something in me and I want to create a space for someone else to find the hope and the healing that I have experienced. Are you with me? It has to extend beyond yourself. In fact, Jesus said that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to him through Jesus, and now he's put me on this planet to help people who don't know him yet find him in a powerful way and get connected into the body of Christ. I didn't make this up. God wrote the Bible. Are you with me? I just want to see us walk in transformation. I want to see us be transformed from the inside out in such a powerful way that when we find ourselves in new social context, we immediately get a sense of the environment and the atmosphere. We immediately get a sense of exactly what is happening in that place. Is it leading towards godliness or away from it? And if I can't change it, I'm going to step out of it. Are you with me? If I can't change it, I'm going to step out of it because I want God to continue to do a work within me. Amen? It's a lot of stuff to think about, isn't it? How many of you just be honest and say, you know what? I got some stuff to chew on. Would you raise your hand on that? I want to pray for us. Thank you. God, we just thank you that you're doing something powerful in this place. Lord, we truly want to walk in righteousness. We want to be transformed in every aspect and arena of our life. God, we know it starts first on the inside, but Father, we want it to permeate and impact the social context that we are in, whether it's our family, our community, our region, our state, or our nation. God, we want to see your purpose and plan fulfilled in our life no matter the cost. 
So God, help us to see where we might either be attacking or withdrawing. And God, help us to see where we can make some small adjustments in our lives that will impact the context in which we live. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Give me just two more minutes and then we'll transition the service. I just want to talk to some of you in the room who have not begun the journey with Jesus. There's a starting point to all of this. What God wants to do in your life begins by saying yes to who he is. It's acknowledging that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, a sinner's death, even though he lived a sinless life, and he did that for me, knowing that there was a consequence for the sin in my life and a consequence for the sin in your life. And the Bible said that Jesus considered it joy to crawl on the cross on your behalf so that if you would just choose to believe in him, it creates an open door to a whole new life in him. And if you're here and you've never begun that journey, today's your day. It's not about being a member of the movement church or eradicating your past. It's about simply saying yes to him. And some of you in this room have never made that decision, and today is your day. And others of you maybe prayed a prayer like this, but you've been running from God, and today's your day to come running back. One more time, would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody moving, nobody looking around. Whether you're in the room, the family room, or online, if that's you, and today you need to pray this prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, why don't you just make my prayer your own? In the quietness of your own heart or a small whisper, just say, dear God, I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Head still bowed, eyes still closed, nobody moving or looking. Would you do me a favor? If you just prayed that prayer with me, I'd love to know. It's the reason I exist. It's the reason I do what I do. In a moment, I'm going to count to three and right where you're seated. Just put your hand up and back down. You're saying, Pastor Kerry, I prayed that prayer. I'm starting that journey today. If that's you, on the count of three, lift your hands up. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. God, we just love that you're at work in this place. We love that you're up to something big. We love that you are not dissuaded by any technical issues, but you are God, and you're doing a work that we will never fully understand until the other side of eternity, but God, we're grateful to be a part of it in this moment. So we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, Movement Church, let's give a hand clap for the men and women who prayed that prayer. Come on.